My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Imagine yourself as a shore angler hooking and landing a conger in excess of 50 pounds. What a tremendous fish! Similarly, imagine how it might feel as an offshore wreck angler boating a conger in excess of 100 pounds. For me, even better. Now imagine yourself having achieved both. There's one person, however, who doesn't need to imagine that, and he's sat alongside me here today, that being Ivy Bridge Devon Sea Angler Roger Beer, who in 1995 beat a massive eel of 56 and a quarter pounds from Brixham Breakwater, and in 2008 went afloat from Brixham again and came back with the seventh biggest conger in history, weighing in at a staggering 109 and a half pounds. A fish which, when combined to the earlier Brixham Breakwater ex-British shore record, made one further piece of angling history by becoming the only time that the £50 shore and £100 boat double has ever been achieved. So to set the scene, give us a full lowdown on each of those momentous catches, starting with Brixham Breakwater. Yeah, Brixham Breakwater um, started fishing the breakwater in an Ivy Bridge competition back in 1973, I think it was. We hooked and lost a few fish, and that gave me the inspiration to, to do a lot more conger fishing from the breakwater. And um, I put four or five nights a week sometimes back in the 70s. And finally, uh, the night, it was 27th of December, I hooked and landed a 56-pound, four-ounce uh, conger on very uh, elusive gear. Um, it was all we could afford back then. I had a four ounce beach caster, I think it was an Abu 6000, which would hold about 80 yards, 75, 80 yards, a 30 pound line. You cast out about 40 yards and you only had about 30 yards left on the reel for the... <laughs> anyway, um, the particular night, I think if I remember back then, it was quite calm. Put the ropes down over the breakwater just in case. And I think it must have been about 10 o'clock, 10, 12 o'clock in the uh, evening. Me and a friend of mine, uh, Martin, I had a screaming run. I let him settle, picked the rod up and uh, hit him. It took about 20 minutes to get it in. I uh, struggled like mad and uh, I managed to grab the line. I wanted to land it all myself, so I uh, grabbed the line out, slid in over the rope and got a gaff into it. Showed it to me mate to send the second gaff, which was a screwing gaff, and I made a complete cock up and uh, it ended up they split in the conger open, which lost a lot of weight. Couldn't officially weigh the conger for about 12 hours. It was rested in a in a sack, which it uh, managed to get out of and dried out overnight. So um, you leave yourself to what weight it would have been. But uh, yeah, it was uh, quite an exciting night. Is there any particular reason then behind fishing bricks and breakwater, as opposed to say any other possible location? Yeah, the breakwater was. Uh, it was. I found it very good. It, apparently, it was uh, even better. Obviously, not for. Um, There's a few thirty, forty pound fish being landed, and I've landed quite a few off the breakwater for other people, and also had quite a few thirties and forties myself. I just love it. You got a thousand yard, I think it is. At the end, I think it must be sixty foot, maybe fifty, sixty, seventy foot. We got different marks on the breakwater, which we fish different parts of the tide. I was on uh, a three, well, nearly out the end on the outside, and you had to climb down about thirty foot rope to get down to the um, down to the where the tide comes in. And usually on the best tide is low water, which is always the awkwardest. 
that's really uh, I just love the bright water because you know you don't know what you're going to catch out there I've had angler fish pollock large bass uh, bass over 12 pound pollock over eight so uh, you know there's some big fish out there but nowadays and since they long lined it um, in the 80s it took out a lot of eels and I think I do believe I heard the rumor that one of them was uh, an 80 odd pound and we got one and lost him quite a few times. We called it Scarface. <laughs> We've seen it once and it was just, you know, hooks and traces and whatever, you know. But um, I've actually lost one one night uh, out on the breakwater. We got it in towards where the gaff was. Before we could get down to gaff it, it uh, managed to break free. And that one we estimated about £85 roughly, which was massive. But nine foot plus long and a girth quite big, you know. But, uh, yeah, conger fishing on a breakwater used to be uh, good because we put the time in. And these ropes you mentioned, were they for climbing down to reach hook fish? <laughs> the ropes were actually uh, for just climbing down just over the breakwater. You climbed in on the 30-foot rope, and then you had to uh, pull yourself back up, and then you had about five-foot piece of the breakwater to get up, and it was difficult, but uh, we used to do it quite regular. You might fish uh, two or three, four months without a fish, and you know, all of a sudden you look one, and uh, with a bit of luck and everything, you might land it. The biggest of which for you turned out to be the British record. Yes, it was a record back in 75, put in for the record, and held a record, yeah. The same year, I had the small eye ray record as well from the shore, which uh, was 13.7. That was quite another place, Stoke Point, but, uh, you know... A fish completely overshadowed by an eel almost twice as big from the boat in 2008. Well, the uh, story on that one, I uh, used to fish off Plymouth a lot. Uh, it was a flat bottom boat. We used to go out regular on a Wednesday night, I do believe. And um, I think the boat was called back then Lady Elizabeth. We used to fish in the dark, just in the uh, in this sort of sound, not very far out, tied up. And we used to catch 30-pound conger just playing around. And um, I, I used to go out occasionally for conger out in a boat and I got to the stage where I was being more sick and I, they was using me for ground baiting and uh, so I gave up for well over 30 years and a friend of mine, I was fished off the breakwater again going back in 70s, he's about 8, 10 years younger than me and he was, he was up there with his mates fishing and um, I've, I've known him for all this time and he kept on about going out to boat fishing again and I said well I wouldn't mind. So finally he got round, I bought myself a, a big pen reel and loaded it with an 80 pound braid, got all the, uh, made up all my traces and uh, I, we decided, he, he said that he would go out with me in uh, Torquay with Kevin Tate's uh, boat. And it was in the Torbay Festival and so uh, we, he couldn't make it. Uh, his son, who was at I think about 20 at the time, 21, he came with me, so I had to borrow a rod off my mate, and I had my own reel, obviously. Uh, we went out, and um, we were about 20, 25 mile, and um, we caught a couple of small ones, and uh, somebody brought this rather large pouting in of about £2 plus. And I didn't know he wanted to weigh it in for the Torbay Festival, <laughs> and it was in the fish bin. So I um, kindly cut that one a bit and stuck him on the hook and sent it down. So you imagine that the bait was uh, quite big. And uh, I had this uh, soft tap and um, I thought, well, there's something there because he hadn't taken it straight away. And every five minutes or so, they kept asking me if I got a bite and I kept saying yes. 15, 20 minutes later, the eel decided to go. 
And that was when uh, it was just like hooking an express train. Every time I got it up, about three quarters away, it would dive down again. I just couldn't stop it. Finally, uh, I managed to get to the surface, and before they could gaff it, it went down all the way down to the bottom again. So about, oh, I must have been 25 minutes, half an hour, all t- told, uh, fighting the fish, they got it in. The skipper managed to gaff it. I still didn't know the size of it because he asked me to back up the other side of the wheelhouse. And I could hear a lot of swearing on the other side of the wheelhouse. And uh, my friend, uh, friend's son, uh, he had a 100-pound eel. He was the youngest boy to land uh, a conger of 100-pound. It was dead on 100-pound. And I could hear him swearing, saying it was bigger than his. <laughs> and we caught it about... 12 o'clock, roughly midday, give or take 11 o'clock, something like that. And we couldn't officially wait in, until Brixham, because uh, it broke the scales in, uh, I think we we tried to weigh it on the um, harbour in Torquay, and the scales only went up to £100, and uh, it just went, it bug- it went right down and stopped them. So we had to put the fish back on the boat, because uh, it was the Torbay Festival, and uh, steam back into Brixham, uh, where there was another weighing station that had still yards in there, and uh, they officially weighed at 109.8. So uh, it was nine foot something long, and well, yeah, certainly um, made my uh, day. <laughs> uh, but that's it, really. But it was one hell of a capture, and uh, I think it's the, f- well, I'm pretty sure, I'm 100% sure, it's the uh, first time anybody's ever cracked a 50 plus shore and 100 from the boat. So. Uh, it's been a nice end of the sort of career really and that was Kevin Tate's boat and Claire you say yeah I can't remember what the boat was called it wasn't Delora no it wasn't that was his old boat I can't think it was uh, a big bright orange catamaran but he was a good skipper you know he, he certainly knew his, uh, where the fish were and uh, I think since then he's had, uh, he's had one or two fish of around 100 but um, the 100 pluses the big ones have eluded everybody but one day the record will be broke again, but the 133 you'll take some beating, won't it? So I think the nearest one to that is about £115 someone, isn't it? And then suddenly shot up to £133. Van something, I can't think what he's called, a Dutchman. There's a few continental names in the list around the £108 to £110 bracket, but it's Vic Evans who caught the £133.25 record. Oh, oh, Vic Evans, yeah, it was Van Claude something, he was... Clausen, perhaps. Anyway, so was Kevin Tate's boat chosen deliberately, or did it just work out that way because of the festival? Well, my friend who booked up the trip for me uh, and his and his son said he was pretty good at conger fishing, and um, he had a couple of spaces left uh, on there for the uh, Torbay Torbay um, festival, and uh, we decided that uh, we'd have a good go at it. I said to my wife, it would be really nice if I cracked the hundred to do the double and I'd never had a never could believe that uh, it would be done and on my first trip for over 30 years I'd done it and when we steamed back into the um, to get it weighed I passed the rod back to my friend and said uh, you can have your rod back it's christened because <laughs> he's never had nothing like that I think he's best about 60 70 pound which is still a good eel too right it is so what you seem to be describing here is a chance encounter by the right man in the right place and at the right time. Unlike the shore trips, which were carefully planned, this one just happened. Though it has to be said that planning is still a very important factor when organising offshore big conga boat trips. Just not in this particular case. 
it was on a on a good tide. You know, obviously you got to pick the tides. And he was a good skipper. He anchored just off the wreck. Um, obviously the bait went down and all the scent went into the uh, wreck and the big eel came out to find out what the prey was and uh, I managed to stop him getting back into the wreck I suppose a bit of the uh, bit of skill from catching the ones from the rock paid off in its own when I hooked him on the boat because if you never had your clutch set on the reel it would have snapped you up you know as easy as that you know it was either him in the boat or me out of the boat <laughs> so that's how hard it was yeah it was just like hooking a, a steam train and going off <laughs> doing a line with it. But uh, yeah, it's just good fun, you know. And when you got the final weight confirmation of what you suspected anyway, was that at Tor Bay, or did he say it had to be taken elsewhere? No, we had to take it from Torquay over back over to Brixham because the uh, scales were better over there, and they went up well over 100. And uh, when they said it was 109.8, a couple of my mates I'd known for donkey's years, they came out shaking my hand and uh, said 109.8, you've done it. So that's just sort of brilliant. But uh, then it was trying to catch more 30 pluses from the shore then, which I've done. About three, four years ago, I had two in one week, a 32 and a 33. That was back from the shore. But they are very hard to get from the shore nowadays. Obviously because the um, people trawling and, you know, the hard winters we've had, it kills the eels, you know. They come in and uh, the frost gets them. Everything else, really, but... Uh, all the fishing's gradually getting harder. Let's explore the history of the big conger scene a little more deeply here now. When I first started sea fishing back in the 1960s, the record was something like £89, breaking through the £100 barrier for the first time in 1976, and has continued to climb steadily upwards from there. Obviously, the big fish have always been there. But with eels, it isn't only about positioning the boat over the wreck. In the early days, the ling needed to be thinned out to even have a chance of getting a bait in front of a big eel. That unfortunately is no longer the case, and even the eels themselves are coming under pressure. They're not so much by anglers, I'm happy to say. I'm pretty sure because um, people now are returning a lot of the eels, you know, most of the eels on, um, on that day we only kept about three, uh, three maybe four. I mean, we caught quite a few, we caught about... 15, 20, but most of them went back. Of course, uh, the conger, when they come up, they don't get sent, they get knackered, but they, they go down again, they're safety, you know. And uh, I think it's a lot to do with um, people uh, putting the eels back instead of bringing them in. And, uh, of course, the smaller ones now can get bigger. And only trouble um, we've got now is uh, people putting nets around the, the boats, and that's uh, sort of killing it off a bit. But uh, no, the eel, uh, I think the eel record will finally go, but it might be a few years before it will. But uh, there's always a chance. Uh, they've caught them over 200 pound in trolls. So I think uh, in a few years' time, uh, maybe the 140, 150 barrier might be brash. Now, actually, it might be a good time to run through the list of Tunnel Conger as it stands in May 2012. This is in order of weight starting at 100 pounds. Bill Wright, 1990, Rye, £100. Dave Higgins, 1999, Lymington, £100. Lee Piddington, 2007, Brixham, £100. Tony Welch, 1990, Brixham, £100 ounces. Dave Summers, 1994, New Haven, £100 ounces. Steve Cook, 2002, Dartmouth, £101. Michael Pass, 1990, Rye, £101. 
F. Haywood, 2005, Paynton, £101 2 ounces. G. Tibbs, 1996, Dungeness, £101 8 ounces. C. Angler Editor, Mel Rust, in 1999 at Plymouth, £101 8 ounces. Wally Ellis, 1978, Plymouth, £101 8 ounces. Dave Kite, 1994, Eastbourne, £102. D. Platt, 1995, Exmouth, £102.6. Ron Thompson, 1974, Mevagissi, £102.8. Ray Street, 1981, Plymouth, £102.8. John Marchant, 1978, Plymouth, £102.8. Jim Calvert, 1992, Plymouth, £103. Martin Salem, 1998, Weymouth, £103. A. Padden, 1998, Brixham, £103.8. Colin Homburn, 1996, Dungeness, £104.8. R. Braddock, 1995, Plymouth, £104.12. Jim Calvert, 1992, Plymouth, £105. N. Best, 1998, Brixham, £105. S. Norris, 1995, Exmouth, £105. S. Hetherington, 1997, Exmouth, £106. B. Hancock, 2007, Plymouth, £106.11. Graham Tibbs, 1996, Dungeness, £107. Patrick Lesion, 1998, Exmouth, £107.12. Victor Croon, 1991, Guernsey, £108. L. Coffill, 1993, Rye, £108.9. Robin Potter, 1976, Plymouth, £109.6. And now your fish in 2008 at £109.8. H.C. Clausen, 1991, Plymouth, £110.11. Ounces. Trevor Kerrison, 1992, Plymouth, £111.4. Ounces. Derek Marsh, 1992, also at Plymouth, £112.8. Ounces. Niall Ball, 1992, Dartmouth, £112.8. Ounces. Sean Tromans, 1999, Plymouth, £115.00. And finally, Vic Evans, 1995 at Brixham, with the current British and all-tackle world record of £133.4. ounces. Now I suppose to some extent it's going to be easier upping your chances of a big eel from a boat rather than the shore, because boats and skippers earn themselves reputations, and you can supplement this by choosing the best anchoring ties and putting a party together with only Big Conger in mind. Shore fishing specifically for Big Conger, on the other hand, is a very different matter altogether. Yeah, shore is, um, I used to call it, years ago, I used to call it angling and dangling. But since catching that eel, I know it's uh, it's still a difficult task to land. You can hook them, but uh, whether you get it, ever get it in the boat, and you know, it's because they, it's the really one of the hardest fighting fish, you know, because uh, they can actually swim backwards as fast as they can go forwards. Luckily, I, I had 80-pound braid on, which I felt, oh, there's no stretch in the braid. And one slight twist, he would have snapped me, but I had everything set pretty good. And uh, I tired the U out eventually until he got in the boat and he just come to life again. But um, the U itself, the other 
a couple or three that we actually kept for the Torbay Festival. They didn't go to waste because we um, passed them up to, after we weighed it, we passed them all to Bricks and Fish Market and they were sold on the market and they made about £150, something like £130 and the proceeds went to the RNLI, which to me, you need them and uh, that said, uh, they didn't go to waste. So, But plenty of fish at that particular time went back into the sea to, to get bigger and uh, smash more records. <laughs> The shore scene has been a little harder to pin down, but there have been quite a few reports of big conger eels caught, including the current British record of £68.5 by Martin Larkins from Devil's Point at Plymouth in 1991, plus of course what you get to hear on the grapevine. So where do you feel your fish sits in that particular roll call of honour? Well it's quite good because bricks and breakwater, we had to start from scratch, you know, I never had nobody to show me the ropes, just went out there um, with, a, like I say, an Ivy Bridge Sea Angling competition and thought, well, I wouldn't mind trying a bit of eel fishing. And, and, of course, as the years went up, our gear stepped up. But the gear we used to use back then, well, you wouldn't use it for bass fishing uh, nowadays. So we were lucky to land some of the fish that we hooked. But I'm afraid if we had the uh, gear that we got now, there's probably we would have smashed all the records under the sun because the gear in the line... It's totally uh, changed over 20, 30 years, even 40 years. But shore fishing for eels, you've got to have the knowledge and the tides. Uh, I've kept diaries for 20-odd years, 20, 30 years I've kept diaries. And uh, I gave up fishing about 82, 83 for 13 years, I think it was. I came back in 97, had a long break. And back in 97, I started off hus fishing and conger fishing. And I had to retrieve my diaries check where I was fishing and try the marks, including some new marks, and started catching some decent fish again, you know. But, uh, yeah, shore fishing is, is, I think, the hardest. To catch a a 40-pound plus or a 30-pound plus eel, it's a lot harder than boat fishing, I would have said. Yes, you do have to do the work yourself. But, uh, yeah, it's just good fun, but uh, very tiring. Now this unique double has, as we've already said, earned you an equally unique reputation, and deservedly so. But the conger as a species also has a reputation too, that of being an evil fish, a monster not to be tangled with, even at times a destroyer of boats. Over the years I've read all sorts of crazy wild accusations such as those, few, if any of which are probably deserved. So perhaps now would be a good time to dispel some of those myths. Well, sometimes uh, if the eel was deeply hooked, we'd cut the trace as close as we could and put it back um, because the hook will rust out in about, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks because we never use uh, stainless steel hooks. But the traces nowadays we use, we clip on. So uh, when you get the eel in, you land the eel, let him quieten down for a couple of minutes and then uh, obviously you've got to weigh the eel because I like to return all the fish. And we usually use long-nosed pliers or uh, very carefully because they could take your finger off if you were silly enough to retrieve the hook out without that. But um, uh, they're, they're, not, they're difficult to get the hooks out sometimes, but once you retrieve the hook and the trace, you put them back in the water and I reckon all of them go back and live for and fight another day. So it's conservation nowadays not to kill the fish. Well, to me it is anyway and a lot of others, but there's still people that will kill eels and... I understand if it's a record, or you think you've got a record, um, they won't let you uh, take photographs and say you've caught it at that weight. You've got to take it to have it officially weighed. So uh, 
that is killing the sport really nowadays i take photographs of the eels myself with a timer on a camera because i very often fishing on my own one day I had, I had a 25 and a, a 30 i think it was and i i had them on two rods one after the other and i had a f- camera set up took photographs got it and uh, weighed them and put them back within five minutes and they both swam off so it's conservation all the time for me now any amusing rather than threatening little anecdotes bricks and break war one night snapped on the boot but uh he soon let go. <laughs> yeah, it just frightened me for a second. But yeah, they can't. They could take your finger off if you were silly enough to stick your finger in their mouth, which you wouldn't do because you know it's just silly. Just be careful. They can be vicious, but not some of the rumours they've got. Now, what about out on the boats? Boat fishing, different thing because you're limited where you can move, and uh, a lot of people can get whipped with their tail and and fall down and hurt yourself that way but uh, yeah I've seen a few fish splashing around in a boat uh, you just got to stand back and sort of let the skipper do his work and put the eel back carefully out through the gunnel you know or whatever but uh, yeah you just got to watch it watch the tail uh, wrapping around you and stuff yeah no it's not uh, not difficult once the fish quite in the you can put it back in you know it's easy enough I'm a trail boat user myself so do you have any experiences to share with us there I understand small boats could be dangerous because you've got to get the eel in a dinghy or something and uh, you'd be silly enough to do it, but it's better to bring it up to the side and uh, sort of hook it when it's still out, out of the boat. Just pair of long nose pliers, hook the hook and pull it out. But uh, follow the barb down a little bit to make it easier. A lot of people nowadays use the circle hooks. I've tried them, I've made use of them all the time and he's hooked a few conger, but uh, I've never had much success from you know the shore. But apparently the circle hooks, um, always hook in the corner of the mouth. But he's uh, using them regular and catches them. We use them for hoss. But I've never had much, uh, you know, I still go back to the original uh, original hooks. But 8-0 or 10-0, you know, with a whole macro. Now presumably a lot of anglers are going to be envious of your achievements, myself being one of them. So far we've concentrated on the catching of each individual fish. What I'd like to do now is to look at the timing and planning behind finding and getting to grips with Big Conger, starting again with the shore. When you're planning a trip out on the shore, um, you've got a different marks, fish different tides. Some fish two or three hours over the top and a half an hour back. Some fish low water, last hour out. So you've got to use sort of different marks and always in the dark. You go out maybe just before dark to get all your gear set up and then fish into the dark and onto the best tides that the mark should produce and if you don't get anything no bites in that particular time you just will pack up you know so you really you're only going for three four hours a trip because the rest of the tide uh, you're just wasting your time proving over the years that uh, different tides different marks different baits even some places like cuttlefish some some uh, marks like squid some like mackerel a combination sometimes you know but I usually make up my own traces and I even started getting cuttlefish because they're so messy doing all the work home cutting them up and putting on a, a hook tying it on with elasticated cotton and then freezing and then uh, taking like four or five I used to call them lollipops and clip them on a trace with a hundred pound clip put your sliding weight on and cast out and as you know, cuttlefish, you can uh, refreeze two or three times, so it saves you money as well. Put your, your sessions on the shore, it's all done. And if you can keep notes in a diary, which marks fish certain tides, uh, 
certainly helps you in later in the years. Now to me, bricks and breakwater, and I suppose a number of other similar structures all around the country, sound like ideal conga venues. But what if you don't have access to big man-made structures? Are there any natural marks which could also do the business? And if so, what would you be looking for to suggest one might be worth giving it a go? A lot of places like harbours nowadays where the ships come in uh, with their catch, they won't let you fish, but uh, there has been known in Brixham there was a hole in the wall and apparently was a large conger went in there, a small conger went in there, and all the fish that was going past, dead fish and that, he was sticking his head out and grabbing them, and a rumour has it he got so big he couldn't get out, so uh, harbours really is difficult to fish because you would not allowed to. A rocky outcrop uh, miles from nowhere is usually a good spot as long as the ground is kelpy, rocky and stuff like that because we set up tra- traces for the bullhoss and the conger uh, as long as you're using uh, a fairly good trace trying to stop them biting through because they weigh well, 200 pound nylon nowadays because I always use nylon not the old wire and you can uh, catch a big bullhoss the same, on the same trip so it expands your trip you can have two different fish you know on the same mark but uh, Bullos and Conger, uh, the roughest ground you can find, lose your gear or catch a fish. <laughs> Are there any specific requirements for water depth? Well, in the dark it doesn't make much difference, obviously, because it can be like 20, 30 foot deep or off uh, bricks and breakwater, 60 foot, 70 foot. It doesn't make much difference, I didn't find, especially in the dark, because obviously uh, places like Natural Arch uh, is only like 25 foot. Some decent eels have come out of there, you know. I've had several 30 pluses from there, but uh, it takes you months to catch one. <laughs> Where possible, do you ever do any pre baiting, loose feeding, or even use chum bags to draw fish into the vicinity of your baits? No, at the time uh, we'd never used to uh, use rubby dubby, but about five years ago, a friend of mine uh, put a rubby dubby bag out uh, on the breakwater inside on the steps. And I fished alongside him, and uh, it was the one of the competitions, big conger competition. There was about hundred odd people fishing that night, and I th- can't remember. I think the uh, he had a twenty pound eel, and I gaffed that one out, and then he had a forty six or forty. I think it was a forty eight pound that one, and I gaffed that one out for him. Both fish were weighed officially because I was one of the stewards in the competition photographed and returned to the water. Uh, he won the first and second prize on that time and he told me after that he had uh, ground baited it uh, for about a fortnight previous to the uh, competition which there's no, nothing saying you couldn't do that and that seemed to work but all the marks that I used to fish I never used to use any rubby dubby. You used to chuck the odd uh, head out but not fish it with a rubby dubby bag now. Some people do mine. And do you still not bother? No, no, not at all. No, I still go back the old methods. Go to a decent rock mark that I've no produce at uh, times at the right tides, the right bait, freshest bait that you can get, and put the time in. And hopefully you'll land a, you'll look one, but whether you land it, that's another thing. But uh, yeah, they're good fun. And what are the deciding factors as to where you might place those baits? Places like Natural Arts and that, I always uh, put one well out and one in close, so one about 20, 30, 40 yard out and one about 60 to 80 yard out as far as you can fling it with a big bait and uh, that's what I call setting a trap because if the eel uh, are coming round from the other rocks uh, just foraging if they're coming close they'll smell your bait if they're out further they'll smell your other bait hopefully and one should you might get a bite not always so but uh, you might do (laughs) 
Can we now switch our attention to tackle choices, and in particular, to kick things off terminal tackle? The end tackle nowadays gone off the wire from years ago. We use mono, 250, 200, maybe up to 300 pound mono. Trace of about a foot, foot and a half long. Obviously an 8 or 10 hook, uh, either tied on with a certain knot or crimped on. A large swivel, 100 plus swivel up the uh, other end with a clip. That's for clipping on your uh, trace to your uh, other swivel on the main line. A small swivel with a length of about 20 pound line, 20, 30 pound line, as a rod and bottom with your uh, 6 ounce or 5 ounce weight on the end of that. So if the fish goes off and the uh, weight's hooked up, he can still pull line without knowing that he's on the hook. And if you do get caught up, obviously the 20 pound, 30 pound line will snap uh, rather than your uh, braid. And I still use braid from the shore, I swear by it. A lot of people can't get on with it, but I, for the last 10 years I've used braid, and it's brilliant stuff. What breaking strain do you favour? Believe it or not, from the shore, I use 80 pound, because an eel can snap just as easy as, if he goes across a rock, it can snap like nothing. Uh, it's got no stretch, you can feel every bit of the bite, you know, the every bit of the uh, fight of the fish, and on the first couple of seconds, if you don't get him up, uh, the fish is gone, because uh, they are that quick. You know, especially from the shore. In my experiences from the boat, conga takes can be quite gentle. Is the same true when fishing from the shore? There's two or three different things. One that can be tapping your bait for ages and you think, is it a conger? Because it's so they're soft. And the other one, you could get a, a, a nice steady run, then it'll stop, drop the bait, and it'll pick it up again and go off again. And then uh, you pick the rod up, let him go, and when he goes second or third time, you hit him. And uh, hopefully the bait is just inside his mouth and you can hook him. But, uh, yeah, we've had screaming runs and very small bites. And they both can be big eels. Tell us a bit now about your hand tackle. Rods nowadays is Conaflex, Scorpion Sport, or that sort of thing. They cast up to 8 ounces because obviously um, with your uh, 6 ounce, 5, 6 ounce weight and a load of bait on the end, it's quite weighty and you've got to lob it out 50, 60 yards and sometimes maybe even 80 yards if you can get it out there on the, for the long way out. The real choice nowadays, I would have said, you're talking Sloss 30s, pens. The old Abu 9000 reels are still good. Um, they don't make them no more, but if you can get a good second-hand 9000, especially the twin-speed one, any decent reel like that nowadays, compared to what we used to use, is they're brilliant. Good stuff nowadays. And do you only fish after dark, or have you also had them in daylight? We've had eels just before dark, but not very often. On the deeper marks, you can get them, but this part of the country, 99.9% uh, .9 is in the dark when you catch any eel. That's when they come out to feed. And besides the record breaker, what other fish, or catches of fish, stick out in your mind? I've had quite a few 40s over my uh, span of conger fishing and hell of a lot of 30 pluses, you know, 30, 35s and 38s. I've just been lucky with them, but it's, it's over a long period of time, you know, I can go six months without catching an eel and then putting the time in like I do, you know, all of a sudden uh, I might get two. Like one night I was fishing the arch when I had two, I think it was like one just under 30 and one 30, 32 I think it was, and another night in a week I had two 30 pluses. That's in the last four or five years ago. So um, you can still do a double in an evening, but I think very often you're going to go with a lot of blanks. 
And over your years of experience with shore fishing for big eels, have you picked out any noticeable patterns to any of this? Just timing and uh, going back to the marks that you trust, putting a lot of time on the marks, knowing the baits, knowing the tides, and that's it really, it's down to um, just knowing what you're doing is, is correct. And if the fish come along, it can be an added bonus, you know. You can't just go out and chuck in chance because you'll just lose anything you hook. Probably won't even hook anything. <laughs> and if you want to set yourself up with a decent chance from the boats... If you go on to uh, the forums or um, you get find the local boat place uh, and find out when their trips are going out, and very often if there's a skipper that enjoys his conger fishing, he'll put down conger trips. And uh, Kevin Tate does do this. He, on his uh, website schedule, he'll put down in mainly around September time, August, uh, September, October, on a good day, obviously not too rough, where he can anchor, it's got to be a neat tide, because he'll never anchor on a wreck if it's a strong tide. And he'll put down uh, a choice of conger trips, and you can book up and, and try it. But, uh, yeah, it's all good fun. And there's also uh, a couple of real decent angling boats in Plymouth, apparently, that still target the conger. But, uh, like nowadays, they chuck most of them back, which is good. They don't keep them. Like, like, like 70s, they used to they slaughter them back in the 70s. Everything was kept, and that's why the... Uh, wasn't so many conger around. But I think nowadays they're gradually getting a few more around. And in terms of tackle recommendations, borrow it from a mate if you want a monster. Yeah, borrow if you make christen it and pass it back. Now, there's so many boat rods out there now. You can have a boat rod of 20 to 30. You can have them specially made up. Um, there's a place up in Scotland that does rods. Uh, you can have a, a tuna rod made into a conger rod and this and that and long as you've got a decent bit of bend there, you've obviously got a bit of strength else you never shift it. The right gear and knowing what you're doing, taking note of what other people are doing and patience. And one day you'll land a, hopefully land a big fish, probably bigger than mine. And is it your preference still for braid out in the boat? Always braid nowadays. I've been fishing braid for about eight to ten years and I don't use nylon at all now. It's always um, for conger, 80 pound um, I think it's, oh, I can't think of the name of the braid now, uh, Berkeley. You can get the um, thinner braids, the super braids. I don't really trust them. Uh, you can get a 100 pound super braid equivalent to about 25 to 30 pound line. But you do need a bit of thicker line, uh, braid to take a little bit of the rough stick with the uh, rocks and the kelp that you're fishing off. Because if you haven't got that, it'll just like be like using cotton, really. And when you get the early signs of interest out over a wreck, how do you play a thing so as not to alert a fish of imminent danger so that it either drops the bait or retreats back into its lure, yet at the same time be ready to exert maximum pressure when you do need to strike, again to prevent it retreating back to cover, this time with the baited hook? Well, when the eel picks up your bait and he goes off, hopefully you've got your rod in the hand, uh, you feel him go off and you let him go, let him go, and uh, you, you just sort of get to know when to strike. Once you strike, just keep him, keep him there, because if he, if he gets away, you know, you just never stop him. But um, you've got to pump that eel to the surface as quick as possible. And then uh, you've got the fun of trying to land it. That's half the battle, is getting it into the side. It's not easy, but it's good fun. But to land it, getting it out of the rocks, I invented a, a gaff that um, the handle, the top of the handle would spin because a lot of conger previous to that was lost at the gaff. It used to spin and the gaff would spin at your hand and you lose the fish. 
but um, I made a handle one day and tried it and it has been very successful landed several 30 40 pluses with this gaff and the spin don't matter about the braid getting tangled long as the uh, eel can tire himself and then pull him in after he's he's knackered like now the biggest conger I've ever heard about taken by any method was one of around 210 pounds commercially caught off Falmouth I think have you heard of anything bigger I haven't heard of any real large eels being washed up only back in the 60s I think it was there was uh, a frost that killed uh, hundreds of eels they were surfacing and and dying of the cold because they're inshore fish but I think um, the record will be broken. It will, if it does go, it will be smashed. But it's going to take one hell of an eel, in person with the right gear and the knowledge to get it up, and uh, a good skipper to be able to gaff it in. Unless you sol- do what they call a solitaire, and that's a bit of fun. I've only done it once. Uh, <laughs> that was only with a 55, 60 pound eel, but uh, that took some doing. But no, the um, the conger eel record will go. But it might take 10 years, might, might be 20 years. But if they keep doing the conservation, um, obviously the eels are going to get bigger. And with luck, somebody will catch a real big one. Less ling on the wrecks these days grabbing the baits is also going to help things along. Yeah, the ling can be a pester, but uh, like you said, there's not so much uh, ling around nowadays. They're getting scarcer. But you send down a decent bait, a big bait, just target the big eels and you've got a good chance... Of landing a like 60, 70, 80 pounder, but uh, and then you hook something real special, and uh, yeah, that'll be a bit of fun. <laughs> From the list I quoted earlier, this corner of the UK, and Devon in particular, where we are today, is deservedly the conger capital not only of the country, but if foreign visitor numbers, some of whom are on that 100 pound plus list or any barometer, also of Europe as well. What are your thoughts then on that? It used to be a lot better than it, uh, what it is now because um, back in the 70s and the 80s when the conger fishing was in full swing the boats used to target the eels all the time but nowadays uh, you've got to find a skipper that will uh, target eels on certain tides because there isn't so many people that uh, they'd rather go out catching pollock and stuff like that but they, wouldn't, they don't know what they miss until they hook a large conger. But uh, I think parking in Plymouth as well nowadays, because the parking years ago, there was a lot more uh, parking in places that the boats could go off. Of course, nowadays, I think Queen Anne's Battery, it, it costs you a fortune to park, and people just don't want to pay the cost of everything, and, and the boats just don't want to go out catching conger. But uh, now other places are uh, taking over the Crown. Brixham used to be good back in the 70s, with the Koh-i-Noor and uh, our Unity, two of the best conger boats ever going, they were. They isn't around now, but Plymouth is starting to come back into the swing of it now, and um, I think the conger club had trouble with getting the the conger championships out in Plymouth, but I think they they went up to Pool Dorset or something, and uh, they weren't so successful, so I think they'll be trying back in Plymouth this year again, hopefully. With that in mind... How do you see the future of British conger fishing, the British conger club, and of course your own future on the conger scene? Boat fishing is getting a little bit expensive nowadays with the price of everything. It's going to cost you 55, even 60 pound a trip to go out on a boat. That's without parking, without your line, without everything else. Uh, Shore fishing, the price of fuel nowadays, um, it's certainly slowed me up a lot. But it's the price of everything, putting a lot of people off at the moment. But I think the Conger Club will be going for another 50, 100 years maybe, you know. But as uh, long as somebody there to run it, it's a good club. 
And for my final question, why the obsession with Big Conga? What is it that makes the species so special? It's the going back to the Stone Age, isn't it? The hunting and the, the prey and, you know, everything else. And uh, to anybody who has not hooked a conger from the shore or boat, a decent one that is, give it a go. Because once you've hooked one, even if you don't land at the first time, keep going on. And uh, once you get the first EO in, 20 pounder, it's a good EO. Then you progress to a 30, and then a 40, and then maybe a 60. So just keep going and you'll finally land one, hopefully. Go and beat my record. Uh, you know, he's there to beat. 50 plus from the shore and 109 from the boat. Yeah, just get, go out and do it. And of the two, which one means the most to you? Both. It's difficult to answer it. The, the shore conger obviously is the one that you would, I'd rather get the record. Boat fishing is just pure fun and uh, it gets your adrenaline going. But uh, I can't really choose from both of them. It's, uh, it's a very difficult question. Well, for what it's worth, and I'm a boat fisherman, the shore record edges it in terms of prestige for me. Yeah, the shore one, yeah, I would have thought so, because uh, like I go back to this angling and dangling, as I used to say back in the 70s. But uh, yeah, both of them good, but perhaps the shore one, yeah. yeah. Definitely. I've caught lots of congs over the years, but I've never seen, let alone caught anything even remotely close to either of those two fish. And in light of what you've said about the fighting potential of such big fish, I'm not entirely sure that I should feel as though I've missed out either. Fortunately, I'm too long in the tooth these days for such a physical mauling. Nonetheless, it made great listening, and hopefully will be inspirational in persuading others to want to give it a try, while at the same time recording another little piece of real angling history. Mm -hmm.